with a strong word about something that's always wrong to do. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. It is wrong, church, to make up your mind after only hearing one side of the story. It is wrong. The Bible teaches against it. And we always, and I emphasize the word always, make a mistake when we come to a conclusion by only hearing one side of the story. It is always wrong. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You There's always two sides to the story, and we'd be wise to hear both sides before making a judgment. Failure to do so could be a source of discouragement, as we'll hear on today's Abounding Grace. But there is a remedy, and we'll hear about that too. Last time, we were in Hebrews chapter 10 and in Nehemiah chapter 4 and began to learn about the sources of discouragement. Let's go a little further into it now with Pastor Ed. Geshem is the kind of guy that would rain down water on your enthusiasm, pouring water on your excitement. People like Geshem love to bring others down, especially in times of great success and great encouragement. They just can't seem to enjoy with others unless they're the center of attention or it personally benefits them. This is a warning to all of us of two primary emotions that we've got to stay away from. Jealousy and covetousness. Those are really nasty emotions that will lead us to bad decisions. You know, the idea of jealousy, and that is, I'm not happy that you have something. I'm just not happy. I want it. I wish I had it. I wish I had what you had. But covetous goes a little bit deeper than that. And that is, not only am I not happy that you have what you have, but I would rather take from you what you have, and I would have it so that you don't have it. And it's just a deep-seated, nasty emotion that will bring discouragement to everyone that it touches. That you're just not happy that other people are blessed or encouraged. And not only that, if you go too far, that you want what they have and you don't want them to have it. Which is simply not the agape love of Jesus Christ in our lives. People like Geshem love to bring discouragement into encouraging times. And they have a tendency to pull down and pull down and pull down with their words until finally someone just gives up. The phrase that's used today is they just rain on your parade and try to bring about, you know, since they're not happy, they don't want you to be happy. And isn't that discouraging to be around people like that? It's like, man, I just want to show you a great thing that happened in my life and they're not happy and then they take it even further to try to discourage you. Number four, come back to chapter four with me, would you? There's a fourth source of discouragement that we learn of here, and that is this group, jump down to verse seven. It says, now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Arabs is the next group. Now this is not so much a statement of nationality as it is of a group of people. 
Now, today we would refer to this group of people like the Bedouins. Like if you go to Israel with us, on some of the days that we journey, we'll go down south into the Negev Desert, and on either side in the desert, you'll see these, these temporary tents up, and you'll see these, these ramshackle tents along the highway because they belong to the Bedouins. They're not permanent structures. Uh, the Bedouins like to wander around. They like to go from place to place. They don't like to stay in any one place too long. However, in Israel, it's interesting, when you drive down and those tents are there, even though they're kind of temporary structures, every one of the Bedouin tents has a satellite dish on it so they can get TV coming in. It's like, well, I guess they've established themselves in that one place. But in the time of Nehemiah, they were the wanderers. And they would just go from place to place wherever it most benefited them. You know, where the water was, where the feeding for the animals were, and that's the case. So now they find themselves just showing up out of nowhere to align themselves with the enemy of God. And these represent a group of people that bring great discouragement. And, and this is who they represent. People that you don't even know coming against you because they sided with your enemies. You're like, where did you come from? And what's my beef with you? Like, what, where did you come from? Well, you know, I'm a friend of a friend of a friend, and I heard this about you, so I hate you too. That's pretty discouraging to have people that don't even know you come against you because they've taken one side of the story and believed that and never even talked to you. You know, these guys probably got involved with Tobiah and Sambala because they believed that, that if they were victorious, they would get the spoils. And they would get those things. You know, we can be discouraged by people that we don't even know that have sided with people that are against us. And that always stinks. You know, that happened in the life of Jesus. Remember, there were two primary religious groups that existed during the time of Jesus. One group we know as the Pharisees. They were a, a very conservative group of men that were dedicated to a literal interpretation of the Bible. And that was their commitment. And the Pharisees actually started out very strongly and very wholesome. They were good for the people of God. And their commitment was to the word of God. On the other side, there was that group known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees were almost the exact opposite of the Pharisees. They were very liberal. They didn't believe in most of the Bible. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They, they were sort of like the elite and believed that the teaching of the Bible was more for their personal profit. So they were kind of the faith teachers of the day. And so you've got the Pharisees on one side and the Sadducees on the other, and they were bitter enemies. They didn't like each other because they didn't agree. That is until they had a common enemy. And when there was a common enemy, enemies became friends. That's how the Arabs are here. They really didn't have a beef with the people of God. They really didn't have a beef with them. They just kind of go around living their own life, minding their own business until they lined up with these guys. And it's discouraging to have people that don't know you. And all they have been has been influenced by one side of the story, which leads me to a few thoughts on this group so you don't have to be a part of this discouragement. Number one, turn over to Proverbs chapter 18, would you please? Proverbs chapter 18, because it is wrong, church, to make up your mind after only hearing one side of the story. It is wrong. The Bible teaches against it. And we always, and I emphasize the word always, make a mistake when we come to a conclusion by only hearing one side of the story. It is always wrong. And the Bible says this, notice Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right. And isn't that true? 
the first one to grab your ear sounds right. And the reason they sound right is because the way the story is fashioned favors themselves. They only speak of what's going to benefit them. They only speak of their hurt. They only speak of what's happened to them. And there's only one side of the story, and it's biased. It's biased. Now, parents, parents, you totally get this. You totally get this because, yeah, you know, you got a couple kids, they're fighting in the back room, and you hear them, and one of the kids is going to run out. Why? Because they want to be the first one to tell you how wrong their other brother is. And they come and go, oh, look at me, I'm so hurting. And no, he hit me in the head and hit me with a frying pan. You're like, why is a frying pan in the back? But anyway, they're hitting, boom, boom, boom. And then what do you do? You call, you call the other kid. Ah, you know, Joey. And like now Joey's all messed up and you're already kind of biased. Now I didn't have a lot of parents like agree with this, but you know it. <laughs> because your kids know it. Your kids know this. They know if they can get to you first, there's a better chance of them receiving less discipline if you can hear their version first. Because you weren't there, so you don't know what happened. It's true within, you know, we're just grown-up kids. You realize that, right? We're just grown-up kids. And a lot of these habits were developed in our lives, and we still have them. And we're prone to believe the first side. But notice what the rest of the verse says. The first side seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. It is always wrong, church, to make up your mind on one side of the story. It's always right to get the other side or not to come to a conclusion at all. Or even better yet, don't let anybody come and bring their side to you. Because that brings us to the second thing. And the second thing to avoid this type of discouragement is to not gossip. Gossip is the is one of the most popular sins among the children of God, gossip. And it's almost always couched under very spiritual language. Perhaps even sometimes with true motives where you really want to help someone, but you go about it the wrong way. Gossip is sin. And it's not to be entertained and not to be committed among us as believers. We're not to talk about other people behind their back. We're not to put people down. We're not to build a case. We're not to say things about people when they're present, they're not present with us that would demean their character or would somehow cause someone to think less of them. That's sin. And God would not to have that among the body of Christ. And even more so, God is saying to us today that it is not his desire for Calvary Church here in Aurora to be filled with gossips. It needs to stop. It is hindering the work of God through you and through us. It is not helping the cause of Christ. And you know, gossip goes two ways. There are two types of gossip. Because some of you might be right now thinking, okay, whew, oh, that was a heavy word, but I'm not really a gossip. I don't really talk about people. Because gossip number one is the gossip of the mouth. And that's the one we think of the most. Where it comes out of your mouth, where you're talking about so-and-so. Maybe it's a, hey, we really need to pray for so-and-so. Really, what do we need to pray about? Well, let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> or I just got hurt by so-and-so. Really, what did she do? Oh, no, 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 no. And you know, you go, and, and it's just, it, you're influencing people to not like someone. You're maybe even telling lies about someone. And there's gossip of the mouth. And you might be saying right now, well, praise God, I'm not... I am not guilty of gossip of the mouth. Well, there, it's a two-way street because there's not only gossip of the mouth, but there's also gossip of the ears. 
You really can't gossip unless some, someone's talking and someone's listening. And God would have none of that among us. It's not his will for us. I know in the circles that I'm involved in with other pastors and pastor's friends, sometimes we as pastors are the most guilty of this. And it's not good in a pastor's lips or a pastor's ears to talk about the congregation, to talk about different hurts or pains. It's better just to take it to the Lord and let him heal you instead of destroying someone else's life. In the name of God, imagine that. It is not good to talk about others. I, I think, you know, you think how bad it was in Nehemiah's day, how bad this situation was, how they spread letters, and they were, you know, they had to be talking to each other because they were standing nearby. Can you imagine how bad it would have been in Nehemiah's day if there was social media? And how much more there would be to put down the work of God or try to stop the work of God. And, and you know, so much of social media is just one messed up, twisted side of the story. And it got you all riled up and, and oh, I can't believe it. And then you find out the other side and you go, man, then pride kicks in and you won't admit that you sinned. And now it's not even a gossip issue anymore. It's your pride and your arrogance. And you won't admit to man and to God that you've sinned. And it's just a mess. And this guy, he's just standing by being influenced by Sam Ballot. He's just standing by. We don't even know who these guys are. And they take a position against the people of God. I think today, you know, in the, in the ministry that I'm a called of and the different people that have come in and out of this church, there are literally people right now, probably this very second, talking bad about me, posting something bad about me that have my phone number, my personal cell, that if they chose to call me right now, it would ring this phone in my hand, but they choose not to use it because if they did call me and re-resolved it, they wouldn't have anything to talk about because that's what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 18. If you've been offended, go to that person, you and him alone. Talk it out. If he hears you, what does the Bible say? You have won your brother. Isn't that what we desire? We want to see people one in relationship. We don't want to be all caught up in all the things that are said, which leads me to the third thing. And that is to pastors and leaders of your own church. You know, I can only speak in relationship to our fellowship family, but it's a universal truth. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19. And it says this, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And that literally means two or three people that experience the same exact thing, not two or three people that read a Facebook post and say, Oh boy, yeah, wow, yeah. And then you start believing bad about someone. Specifically, the pastors of your church, the leaders of your church, your home group leaders. It's better if you hear something, either just to shut it down or go to the person and ask them if it's true. Don't make up your mind. Don't make up your mind. I can't tell you how many people have come to me with something they've heard about me. And when I answer, they go, oh, that makes sense. But even better than all of that, even better than all that, wouldn't it be just the best if someone came gossiping to you and you looked him in the eye and said, stop gossiping to me. I will not receive it and repent and get right with the Lord. Wouldn't that stop it? <laughs> yes, it would. And then you go, but Ed, maybe I'll lose a friend. Listen, that's a whole different Bible study altogether. But you stand for righteousness and it could just be your voice. You don't have to be so mean or so strong. You just say, man, why are you, why, why are you gossiping to me? And, and which it leads to another question. And I've done this in other studies, but... If people come to you with gossip, why are they so comfortable 
coming to you with gossip. That's something you should consider. Why would you be the one they come to? That you and I would just not fall into discouraging other people through the sin of gossip or jumping on people's bandwagons that we don't even have anything to do and encouraging people in the Lord. There's a couple more before we head out. The next group of people in verse 7 is called the Ammonites. The Ammonites. This represents the flesh life. Our flesh can be very discouraging. The Ammonites were the descendants of Ammon, who was the son of Lot's youngest daughter. You recall that Lot lived in Sodom with his family. And Sodom was a corrupt city filled with sin. And the corruption of the city corrupted Lot and his family. We know that the Bible teaches us that God destroyed the city of Sodom along with Gomorrah. And Lot and his family fled the city. They were instructed not to look back. And you'll remember Lot's wife looked back and she was judged immediately. But Lot and his daughters went up into the hills. And I believe then in the hills, because of this destruction of this local city, I believe in the mind of Lot's daughters, they believed they were the only ones left on earth. And that they were responsible to procreate. So they came up with a plan. And their plan was to have incestuous sex with their dad. And therefore they can repopulate the earth. And that's what they did. One of the results of that sinful fleshly decision was Ammon. And he became an enemy of the people of God from that day. The Ammonites represent the flesh. Our old sinful habit patterns. And you know the battle that we're in between the spirit and the flesh is ongoing, constant. Never ends. And that can be discouraging. Because sometimes we feel like, man, we're not making any progress. We feel like, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just a fleshly guy. I'm a fleshly gal. And I just don't know if I'm ever going to outgrow this. And it's a discouraging thing. It can be so discouraging when it seems like the flesh, our old sinful habits, taking things in our own, under our own control, that it always wins and wins a lot. And the tug of war seems to tire us. And it gets tiring fighting the battle. We think it'll never end. And the, the truth is it will never end until we shed these earthly bodies. There will be a battle continually, a battle for your life and the substance of your life living out for the things of God. But you know, the flesh of other people bum you out too. <laughs> it's a bummer to deal with the flesh of other people. And yet God would infuse us with the agape love that he alone produces that we might love is patient and is kind. And we're able to be patient with people in the flesh of their lives, which leads us to the last group of people here in verse 7, and that's the Ashdodites. The Ashdodites. Their name means to steal or I will spoil. The Ashdodites speak of robbing people. The book of Joshua tells us that these Ashdodites lived in the area of the giants, you know, the same giants that came against David. They lived in the area of Gath and Ashdod. They were close associates of the giants, perhaps even mixing their bloodline with them. And they speak to us today of the giants in our lives. And that really makes sense. The big things in our lives can be so discouraging. Giant situations, giant problems, things that are beyond our control, giant people just ripping us off and ripping us off of our joy, disturbing the peace and disrupting the clarity. Like it says here, part of the spiritual warfare was to bring confusion. And we know that confusion is not from God. He is not the author of confusion. And so to get our minds all twisted up, to get us confused and feeling like we're in a fog, touching our emotions and literally feeling bad for reasons that we should feel bad, all together, 
these things, it says in verse 8, they all conspire together. Sometimes it hits us all at once. And you know, giant things come into our life all the time, the impossible things, the medical diagnosis. I was on the phone on the way home from service last night to a family. It was a long time part of our church family that moved to another state and I'd gotten word that uh, the wife was sick. So last night I was able to follow up with them and not only was this precious sister sick, but she got diagnosed with one of the most radical forms of cancer that a person could be diagnosed with. So much so that they cut the tumor out of her arm and within just a month or so, it grew back that fast. So I spent time on the phone with them, driving home on the speakerphone, praying with them and encouraging them. And, and so far they are encouraged, but I know that discouragement's knocking on the door. That's a giant problem. It's beyond our ability. Whether it's a diagnosis or some significant family issue that's not resolved. Family issues are huge. They're big. So much of them are out of our control. And we just pray that God would bring people to their senses. You know, Jesus said that it profits without honor except in his own home. So family pains almost like multiply the pain. It's giant. It's big. There's a bill that came up that you can't pay, a job that you're looking for that you haven't found, and there's just these giants in your life that tempt us toward discouragement and not faith in God. You add to that life and everyday life. You know, you think of the mental tiredness that you have because of all the mind games and the battle. You think of the physical tiredness that you have because of all the hard work. You know, you're working all day. Some of you are working a couple jobs to make ends meet. Some of you got a night shift now and you're tired. And some of you, you know, single parents and you've got to get the kids over here and work over here. And it's just, you're tired. You're physically drained. You're mentally drained. And then on top of that, you're emotionally drained. And you can see how these things are continually beating down on discouragement because discouragement's never satisfied. As I mentioned earlier, discouragement grows. And it grows to low-grade depression, sadness, sorrow, even deep depression, perhaps even hopelessness, as all you can see is the circumstance. But it's time on a regular basis to get our eyes off the circumstances because however giant the problem is, God is able to make a way where there is no way. God is faithful even when we are faithless. He is greater than the difficulties in your life. And I want to show you something. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I just want you to see that in a deep, deep downtime in David's life, he learned a vital lesson. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. This is David's example of getting his eyes off of the circumstances that was right up in his face. People wanted to kill him. He himself was discouraged. He thought all was lost and all hope was lost. And as he measured it with his own resources, there's no way he was going to get out of this. And notice in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. And here's the key. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And you asked me, Ed, how? And we'll look at that next time. But how often am I to strengthen myself in the Lord? And the answer is every time you need to. All the time. All day. Looking to the Lord. 
Pastor Ed Taylor ending today's Abounding Grace on a high note and a bit of a cliffhanger. And until next time, be assured as you call on the Lord, He will answer and He will save. If you joined us late or would just like to hear the message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Pastor Ed is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners, just like you. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, be sure to request The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. You'll observe Jesus as the ultimate servant and discover how to become great in the kingdom of God through servanthood. Call 877-30-GRACE and don't forget to request the Jesus style. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Pastor Ed always enjoys hearing from his listeners. Even just a quick hello means a lot. To request prayer, ask a question, or to let us know what God is up to in your life, email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of Hebrews. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.